On the last Sunday of the liturgical year and the first Sunday of Advent, the Church asks us to consider the end of the world. And we've been doing just that. Let's have a quick review of what we saw this last week. First, we saw that the important thing is not so much when in history we live, but how we die. We're all going to die. We're all going to be judged. The important thing is to do our duty and stay in the state of grace. And then whenever we die, we're saved. Second, we learned what the word type means. A type is a person, a thing, or an action that actually exists, but is also intended by God to prefigure a future person, a thing, or action. And we saw in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, St. Paul explicitly teaches that the end of the world can't come unless there first be an apostasy, a great falling away from the true faith, and then the Antichrist, the man of sin, be revealed. And then we took a quick look at a historical example, which the fathers and doctors have always considered to be a very clear type of the great apostasy, and that's the one that occurred in Jerusalem about 170 B.C. And we saw that, among other things, during the great apostasy itself, we would expect to see such things as the behavior inside uh, our churches becoming increasingly uh, disruptive and irreverent. Uh, we'd see people banding the true faith, all the traditions of their fathers, and turning to false religions, paganism, and worldliness. And we'd note, especially among the laity and priests, a dramatic rise in immodest behavior, dress, and perversities, most especially those associated with the Bay Area and San Francisco. Finally, we saw that for the last century, the popes have been explicitly warning us about the great apostasy. So much for the review. Now let's take a look today at the ruler who prefigures the Antichrist, whose name is Antiochus Epiphanes. After Alexander the Great died in 323 B.C., his kingdom was split into four parts. At the time of the Maccabees, which was some 150 years after Alexander's death, the part of his kingdom, which included the Holy Land, was ruled by Antiochus Epiphanes, who's a Greek king of Syria. Today we'll consider certain features of his rule uh, by reading lines from inspired uh, books of First and Second Maccabees. Uh, now keep in mind there's a lot more there than what we'll be able to cover in the time we've got, and as usual we'll do a lot of cutting and splicing. After we read some scripture, then once again, for comments, we'll turn to the great commentary by Father Cornelius Lapide. So let's get started. The inerrant, inspired word of God. And some of the Jewish people determined to make a covenant with the heathens and went to the king, Antiochus Epiphanes, and he authorized them to follow the ordinances of the heathens. Now, who went to Antiochus Epiphanes with this request? Cornelius Lapide, quote, The leader of the wicked men was Jason, who treacherously managed to seize the high priesthood for himself. Close quote. So here we see ambitious apostate priests paving the way for the tyrannical rule of Antiochus Epiphanes and his paganism. Last week we saw the state that the people fell into, uh, this resulting apostasy. Then suddenly, in the midst of all apostasy, there appeared terrors from heaven and great signs. The inspired inerrant word of God, quote, And it came to pass that through the whole city of Jerusalem for the space of 40 days there were seen horsemen running in the air in gilded raiment and armed with spears like bands of soldiers. 
and horses set in order by ranks, running one against another with the shakings of shields and a multitude of men in helmets with drawn swords and casting of darts and glittering of golden armor and of harnesses of all sorts. Wherefore, all men prayed that these prodigies might turn to good. Close quote. Cornelius comments on this, quote, Indeed, this portent was done by the angels at the command of God, that through these things God might warn the Jews beforehand about the attack soon to be made upon them by Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay, so now that the Lord has warned everybody about the upcoming attack, Antiochus Epiphanes arrives on the scene in Jerusalem, the inspired inner word of God. Quote, and Antiochus went up to Jerusalem with a great multitude, and he took the city by force of arms. And he commanded the soldiers to kill and not to spare any that came in their way, and to go up into the houses to slay. Thus there was a slaughter of young and old, a destruction of women and children, and killing of virgins and infants. And there were slain in the space of three whole days 80,000. 40,000 were made prisoners and as many sold as slaves. Close quote. That's still not all. The word of God. Quote, but this was not enough. Antiochus Epiphanes presumed also to enter into the temple, the most holy in all the world. And taking in his wicked hands the holy vessels, he unworthily handled and profaned them. And he proudly entered into the sanctuary and took away the golden altar and the candlestick of light and all the vessels, and the veil, and the crowns, and the golden ornament that was before the temple. And he broke them all in pieces. And he took the silver and gold and the precious vessels, and he took the hidden treasures which he found. And when he had taken all away, he departed into his own country. Close quotes. So here we see the iconoclasm of Antiochus Epiphanes as he sacks the temple. Iconoclasm is the deliberate destruction of religious artwork and symbols, why does God allow this arrogant pagan to profane and strip the temple? The inspired word of God gives us the answer. God was angry for a while because of the sins of the inhabitants of the city. And therefore this contempt had happened to the place, and the holy place itself shared in the evils of the people. Close quote. The Hadok commentary. Temples and sacrifices are for our own advantage. God has often suffered sacred places to be profaned when piety had been disregarded. What's the point? As we saw last week, instead of being pious, instead of clinging to the true faith, in large part, the Jewish priests and people had become apostate. The Hadot Commentary, quote, All religious rites are designed for God's glory and man's welfare. Hence, when they cease to serve God, the holy things are destroyed or taken away. All religious rites are designed for God's glory and man's welfare. Hence, when they cease to serve God, the holy things are destroyed or taken away. The holy things are destroyed or taken away when they're no longer used for God's glory and the welfare of man. It's a very serious message here for each one of us. This beautiful liturgy, our holy faith, all this is ours to lose. It's ours to lose. If we're not pious, 
If we're not serious about avoiding sacrilegious communions and every kind of irreverent behavior and training the children in that way too, God will take this all away. And that means all of it. He's done it before. He'll do it again. That's not a prophecy. It's a certainty. God means what he says, and he won't be mocked or trifled with for long. So far, we've seen death and profanation and stripping the temple. It gets worse. Inspired word of God. And King Antiochus wrote to all his kingdom that all the people should be one, and everyone should leave his own law. And many of Israel consented to his service, and they sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. And that whosoever would not do this should be put to death. And many of Israel consented. And when the Feast of Bacchus was kept, the Jews were compelled to go about crowned with ivy in honor of Bacchus. And whosoever would not conform themselves to the ways of the Gentiles should be put to death. Here we see the exclusive claims of the one true religion being put to the test. We also see many of the Jews becoming actual pagan idolaters. Cornelius Lapide. Antiochus commanded that there should be uniformity in faith and religion so that all the people will be united in the same superstitions and idolatry, just as they were all united in the same kingdom. And therefore, the Jews should abandon the laws and the worship of God handed down to Moses and defile themselves with sacrilegious sacrifices and the superstitions and idols of the Gentiles. And when the Bacchanalia, that is, the Feast of Bacchus, was celebrated with drinking, dancing, public spectacles, impurities, and all the sins of the flesh, the Jews were forced to wear crowns of ivy in honor of Bacchus and to go around the temple or the city. Close quotes. Now, what is the Bacchanalia? The pagan uh, Roman historian Livy has a description of the Bacchanalian rites, which with some editing can be uh, read aloud. Quote, To the religious performances, in the Bacchanalia, to the religious performances were added the pleasures of wine and feasting. When wine, lascivious discourse, night, and the mingling of the sexes had extinguished every sentiment of modesty, then debaucheries of every kind began to be practiced. As every person found at hand that sort of enjoyment to which he was disposed by the passion predominant in his nature. Nor were they confined to one kind of vice. On account of the loud shouting and the noise of drums and cymbals, none of the cries uttered by the person suffering violation or murder, could be heard abroad. Close quote. That's the Bacchanalia. It gets worse. The inspired word of God. King Antiochus set up the abominable idol of desolation upon the altar of God. And they built altars throughout all the cities of Judah round about. And they cut in pieces and burnt with fire the books of the law of God. And everyone with whom the books of the Testament of the Lord were found, and whosoever observed the law of the Lord, they put to death, according to the edict of the king. And they sacrificed upon the altar of the idol that was over against the altar of God. Close quote. Cornesilapide. Quote. For Antiochus wished to abolish the worship of the true God and force the Jews to adore his idol. Antiochus wished to be worshipped as being one with the God Jove himself. Not only did he want to force them to turn away from the worship of God to the worship of Jove, at the same time he wanted to seduce them to commit impurities, which is plainly the work of the devil. 
Therefore, Antiochus ordered that the idol of Joel be placed in the temple, dedicated by a solemn rite and adored, and from thence be called the Temple of Jove. On this altar they sacrificed not only to Jove, but also to Antiochus himself, as if he were a god. For he himself wished to be worshipped as a god, just as was predicted by the prophet Daniel. Therefore, Antiochus is a type of the Antichrist. Behold, this is indeed the abomination of desolation, that is, the idolatrous abomination which makes all things desolate, predicted more than 300 years before by the prophet Daniel. Close quotes. So there we see the abomination of desolation in the temple, a pagan idol, a demon worshipped by the pagans, is set up in the temple of the true God, and false worship and sacrifices are offered to it. Now there's plenty more that can be said about the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes, but we've seen enough to get the general picture. Now remember what a type is. A type is a person, thing, or an action that actually exists, but it's also intended by God to prefigure or foreshadow a future person, thing, or action. So based on the indications we've seen in the prefigurement of both the great apostasy and the Antichrist, and since our Lord has commanded us to read the signs of the times, watch ye therefore, because ye know not at what hour your hour will come. Behold, I come as a thief, blessed is he that watcheth. Here are a few signs that Catholics might want to be on the lookout for. Sign. The behavior inside Catholic churches becoming increasingly unbecoming, disruptive, and irreverent. Catholics abandoning the true faith and traditions of their fathers, turning to false religions, paganism, worldliness. Amongst both the laity and priests, a dramatic rise in immodest dress, behavior, and perversities. Most notably, certainly politically correct sins and those associated with Boston. Sign. Catholic priests neglecting their priestly duties, especially the holy sacrifice, the Mass, and the application of the once-for-all sin offering to sinners in the confessional. Sign. Sign and portents in the sky. It is true that we haven't seen anything like the angelic battle seen in the skies over Jerusalem. But it is interesting that in those days our Lord states that the sun shall be darkened. St. Augustine explains one of the spiritual meanings of our Lord's statement. St. Augustine, quote, The sun, that is to say the church, shall be darkened, because in those tremendous temptations and tribulations which shall be in the end of the world, many who had seemed as bright and as firm as the sun and stars shall fall from the faith. Close quote. In today's gospel, when our Lord speaks of signs in the sun and the, the powers of heaven shall be shaken, it's hard not to think of Fatima. Sign, the occupation of Jerusalem. In Luke twenty-one twenty-four. now that's the line found immediately before today's gospel. Our Lord states, quote, Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the nations be fulfilled, close quote. Cornelius Elapide, quote, Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the nations be fulfilled. That is to say, till the end of the world and of all nations. As the Venerable Bede states, until the plenitude of the Gentiles shall enter into the Church of Christ. For Christ has regard to the desolation of Jerusalem. This was foretold by Daniel in chapter 9, where it is said, The desolation shall continue unto the consummation and the end, meaning that Jerusalem, after being raised to the ground and laid desolate by Titus, shall no longer be the capital city of the Jews, but shall belong to the Gentiles. 
and after that to the Christians, and after that to the Saracens and the Turks, as it is at present. Now, he's writing uh, 400 years ago. And, of course, uh, Jerusalem was trodden down by the Gentiles for some 19 centuries, right up until uh, the Six-Day War in 1967, uh, back to Cornelius And this state of things shall continue until the end of the world. When Antichrist, the King and Messiah of so the Jews, shall fix the seat of his empire at Jerusalem, as is plain from Apocalypse 11.8. And then shall Enoch and Elias resist Antichrist and convert many of the Jews to Christ. After Antichrist is slain, all the Jews shall be brought to Christ by the disciples of Enoch and Elias and shall publicly worship Christ in Jerusalem, as may be easily gathered from Apocalypse 28. Close quote. Sign, the wholesale martyrdom, slaughter of Catholics. More Catholics have been martyred in the past hundred years than the total from all the previous 19 centuries. Sign, the moral corruption and degradation of our youth. It hardly bears comment. It's already almost beyond belief. Uh, the schools are, are just one of many examples. Just think about the new uh, rainbow curriculum that's mandatory in Catholic public schools. I was on the Texans for Co-Life Coalition website yesterday, and it reports that in Catholic schools in Houston, Galveston, and San Antonio, quote, a new... Uh, Immoral education curriculum aimed at grammar school children has been adopted by the local authorities. In terms that rival the boldness and indecency of Planned Parenthood, explicit material is offered to children as young as five years old. Close quote. And the universities are certainly part of the program as well. The Alliance Defense Fund reports that a student at Georgia Tech who had been mocked, cursed, and threatened with rape and murder for standing up for her faith and conservative views on campus she was told by one of the deans that, quote, students have been indoctrinated for 18 years of their lives by their parents and their churches, and we only have four years to undo the damage, close quote. Sign, punishment and persecution for keeping the laws of God. Again, uh, you hardly need the priest to point any of this out. One example, I think it's a sign of things to come, will suffice. Quote, a young Christian photographer was reported to the New Mexico Civil Rights Commission, tried, found guilty, in order to pay nearly $7,000 in attorney's fees after she respectfully declined to photograph the commitment ceremony of a certain couple, despite the fact that neither of these types of utterly immoral marriages nor civil unions are legal in New Mexico, close quote. To say nothing of the fact that uh, these are one of the four sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance. Sign, a wholesale rise in the worship of Bacchus. Remember that the pagan feast of Bacchus, the Bacchanalia, celebrated with drinking, dancing, public spectacles, impurities, all the sins of the flesh. This sort of drunken debauchery, the Bacchanalia, is easy to find. It's just been electrified. This whole culture of rock and roll, nightclubs, MTV, etc., Sign, a push towards a united one-world religion, which, of course, is not the true religion. On that note, the URI, it's the United Religions Initiative. It's founded in 1995 uh, with the goal of making a spiritual equivalent of the United Nations, and accompanies, which is supposed to encompass all religions and all types of spirituality. All types of spirituality. The stated goals of the URI include peace and unity among religions, 
social justice, preservation, and environment. At the 1997 URI Summit Conference, a public worship service included a procession of 15 banners with symbols representing the world's religion, including a banner for the Wiccans, the neo-pagan witchcraft movement. The 15th banner on it had an empty silver circle representing the religions which are to come. Uh, We shouldn't be alarmed by any of this, but we should pay attention. Sign, false idolatrous worship in Catholic churches, erecting of idols in Catholic churches, and worship being given them. Now, this sort of thing is cropping up uh, more and more often, and not just in the chapels of female religious communities that have lost their way. Of course, everyone here is, uh, I'm sure, is familiar with the astonishing example in Assisi on October 27, 1986, when the Dalai Lama and a group of his Tibetan Buddhist monks placed a statue of the Buddha on top of the tabernacle, and they placed this lotus uh, flower-shaped sensor in front of the tabernacle. On the side, one side of the tabernacle, they had this banner with Buddhist, I don't know what, on it. And then two pagan books, uh, two Buddhist books on either side of the tabernacle. And then they bowed down in front of the altar and did some sort of pagan Buddhist ceremony. Now, by the way, if you want to see the actual examples, real examples of the bronze idols that Tibetan Buddhists uh, pray to, There's an absolutely remarkable exhibit of them in the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. Uh, If you go to look at them, you must be careful that your children do not look at them. Another example springs to mind. It took place exactly one month ago today in the Basilica of St. Mary the Angels in Assisi on the 25th anniversary of the first meeting there. A Nigerian named Wanda Ombimbla. Now, he's a former Harvard professor, uh, which is fitting, and a current high priest of Yoruba religion. Uh, we should read that witch doctor. This witch doctor took the occasion to lecture the Pope and others present. And here's what the witch doctor had to say, quote, The time has come for leaders of all the world's religions to have a new frame of mind in which indigenous religions are given the same respect and consideration as other religions, close quote. Well, thanks a lot doctor. This moral advice coming from the high priest of a religion which traditionally not only sacrifices animals, but also humans. Then he took the occasion to shake a rattle and sing some sort of song, hymn, incantation, curse, I don't know, take your choice, in honor of one of the demons he worships, which is supposed he believes is chained uh, to the bottom of the ocean. Well, he's chained all right, but it's a little deeper than the bottom of the ocean. Anyway, uh, over here, this Yoruba religion, of which this guy is a witch doctor, over here, in the Spanish-speaking parts of the world, it's called Santeria, and in the Portuguese parts of the world, it's Candelombe or Macombe. Uh, Father Gabriel Amorth, he's the retired uh, former chief exorcist in Rome, the most experienced uh, exorcist in the world, uh, points out that the very most difficult cur- curses for an exorcist to break are those that are done through voodoo. Now, voodoo comes, this guy's from Nigeria, and right next door, where his tribe, the tribe he's from, is Benin, where voodoo, that's, that's from tribes right there in Benin. And the ones that are from voodoo are from Yoruba. Those are the two hardest curses for exorcists to break in the world. And we have guys like this giving us moral advice in Catholic churches. Thanks a lot. What are we to think of this? Let's check with God. Psalm 95, 5, quote, All the gods of the Gentiles are devils. Close quote, God the Holy Ghost. Sign, profanation and stripping of the beauty, sacred vessels, and treasures found in Catholic churches. 
How many churches have been recovated? Beautiful marble altars smashed. Chalices, monstrances, relics, statues thrown away. Cornelius Lapide has a most interesting and alarming observation that's worth pondering very carefully. Quote, Morally, the abomination of desolation is sacrilege and heresy, especially iconoclasm. For heresy is an idol abominable to God, which brings around the desolation of kingdoms and peoples and the yoke of the Turk. By the yoke of the Turk, he means invasion of Islam. This is worth repeating. Morally, the abomination of desolation is sacrilege sacrilege and heresy, especially iconoclasm. For heresy is an idol abominable to God, which brings about the destruction of kingdoms and peoples and the yoke of the Turk. For when heretics, especially iconoclasts, violate consecrated churches and break the images of the saints and profane the holy places, then it is certain that the desolation and devastation of the people is eminent. God avenges sacrilege in the violation of his divine majesty, worship, and religion. Close quote. When heretics, especially iconoclasts, violate consecrated churches and break the images of the saints and profane the holy places, then it is certain that the devastation and desolation of the people is eminent. God avenges sacrilege in the violation of his divine majesty, worship, and religion. So if we were heeding our Lord's command to watch, those are a few of the signs we might want to watch for. Popes have already given us a fairly decent idea of where in history we're living. Now what are we supposed to do? We want to remember that God's in charge. He loves us. He knows exactly when in history he wanted each one of us to live. We don't need to imitate Chicken Little. We each need to do our duty in our state of life. We need to get serious about the commandments. We need to get serious about our faith. We need to get serious about our personal holiness. Say your rosary and your three Hail Marys and your prayers every day. No exceptions. Wear your brown scapular. Stop sinning. Go to confession every two weeks. Make fervent communions. Spend time before our Lord in the most blessed sacrament of the altar. Put God first and become holy. It's pretty basic. Get serious about your faith. Stay in the state of grace and do your duty. Just do your duty.